0: Uh, good to, good to be with you this morning so we've been journeying through Philippians and today we're in Philippi- go ahead and turn there we're in Philippians chapter one verse 18 b the second half of verse 18 through to verse 26 and here's what I want to do just for a little bit of review. Let me, let me go ahead and read chapter one what we've covered so far on up to this point because I think it's going to help us better understand what the Apostle Paul is saying in these few verses that we are looking at today. Um, And I just want to say, uh, this is what we believe um, as Christians. We believe that the Word of God is living and active, and and that God speaks to us, the living God speaks to us powerfully through His Word. Uh, So I'm confident and I believe that uh, He wants to bring some transformation and some encouragement to our lives through today's word. So I'm going to start at the beginning of Philippians and we'll read, we'll refresh ourselves for some context. So chapter one, verse one, and I'm going to make some comments as we go. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Remember, Paul was a man who was completely opposed to Jesus. Jesus showed up in his life radically transformed him. Uh, Jesus can do that in anyone's life. It's it's not dependent upon us. Jesus shows up in people's lives. He transforms us. He's writing to these Christians in the city of Philippi. Remember what happened there, uh, the way that church was established in the city of Philippi. Three very different people were transformed by the gospel. Remember wealthy Lydia, the Asian businesswoman. Uh, Then you had the slave girl who lived this very oppressed and, and very difficult life and then you had the blue-collar jailer. All three of those people's lives were radically transformed. That formed the start of the church at Philippi. Years later now, Paul's in Rome, and he is writing to these saints. Verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul loves this church. He's always thinking about these people. He's praying for them. He really cares for this church. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What confidence we can have as God's people, that God who has started a good work in us, our sanctification as individuals and as a church, he's going to complete that work. It depends upon him. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Paul's very in touch with his feelings and He feels for these people. He's not just thinking about this church. He feels for them. Because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. That's the center of the Christian life. If you're new to Christianity and thinking about Christianity, Christianity is not about performing and being a good person so you can earn God's favor. It is about grace. It is about how we are all sinners, and we deserve the judgment of God, but instead, through Jesus Christ, we receive grace. Undeserved love of God. And that's what changes everything. And when you find a community of people that really discover the grace of God and are really alive with the grace of God, that's transformative to the city around around that church. You're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Notice these words, feel, yearn, affection. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless from the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, he's talking about his imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel. We looked at this last time. Uh, I'm in prison, but it's actually God's using it to advance his kingdom, to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Notice that Paul says that, I am put here. Wherever you might find yourself in life. Um, you know, the sovereign God is in charge of where you are. And Paul was able to say about his imprisonment, he wasn't saying, oh, this is a mistake, this is an accident. It's like, no, I'm put here. God has God put me here. The sovereign God is in charge of this. I am put here. Uh, where, where am I? I just lost that. Oh, for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Now we get to today's text. So we're still in the middle of verse 18. He's rejoicing that God is at work in his imprisonment and the gospel is going forward. Now Paul's going to keep rejoicing and he's going to build his argument more and more. Second half of verse 18. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers, prayer is powerful, and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, if you're a Christian, you've heard this next verse a lot. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We're going to talk about that. because of my coming to you again. Okay, we're going to look at this text today in three parts. First, joy. Second, purpose in life and death. And third, progress in the faith. Okay, so first, joy. Have You, you notice there in Philippians already how much Paul's been talking about joy and rejoicing, right? If you open up the Bible... You know, you start, you start reading it, you see that joy is kind of everywhere in the Bible. This call to joy, this call to happiness, this call to rejoicing. I'm going to ask you a question. Um, do you think that when our city thinks about Christians, thinks about the church, do you think that one of the first things that comes into their mind is joy? Those are really happy people, really joyful people. Is that what people think? What do you think? No? They hear it. no? Yeah, no. Absolutely not. Absolutely. That's not what most people think, and that's super unfortunate. Somewhere along the line, my friends, people have developed a way of thinking. They, 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 they have thought that to follow Jesus, to be a Christian, to know the living God, they've separated that from joy and from, and from happiness. And there's this thinking that the way to have a life of joy and happiness is, is a life apart from God, not following God. But if you read... Just go home tonight and read the Psalms. The Psalms are all about the joy that we have, we, we, we have in, in God. I, I want to recommend a book to you, um, a great book to read. That I, just, I just reread it for a second time. I read it four years ago. read it again. It's called Happiness by Randy Alcorn. I hope at least one of you in this room gets this book. It's, it's, it's a big book. It's 400 pages. There's a smaller condensed version, but it's worth reading the whole book. Um, such a great book on happiness and what the Bible really teaches about happiness. I think if Paul was here today and if you could meet the Apostle Paul, you would experience from his presence, from his face, just what a happy guy. You go, that guy's full of joy. That guy, whoa, that's kind of contagious, the joy and the happiness coming off of him. Paul, remember his search Paul discovered that there was a happiness, a joy, a delight that he could have, no matter what was going on in his life. Because that was that was a joy he found in, in in God. Remember where Paul is, he's in prison. Prison is not comfortable. Prison was really bad in the first century, first century Rome. He's in prison. He's not comfortable. He's facing a death sentence. But he's saying, you know what? I rejoice. Like today, I am taking joy, happiness in God and in in his grace to me. I'm really happy. And the foundation of that joy, he is saying, is he knows that whatever happens to him, it's ultimately going to be for his deliverance. He goes, I know you're praying for me, and I'm in prison, and I'm not really sure whether I'm going to continue to live on this earth or whether I'm going to die. But I'm confident that no matter how it works out, that God's in charge. The sovereignty of God is so important to understand as a believer. God is sovereign. That means there is no one, there is nothing, that is more powerful, stronger than God. God is in control of all things, sovereign over all things. That's why Paul could say, I'm put here. I'm put here in prison. God knows what he's doing. And he's using this to advance the gospel, to advance his kingdom. That gives me so much... Joy, and I know he's going to use this for good. So he's saying, I rejoice, I rejoice. How many of you right now have something in your life where you're going, you know what, I'm kind of stressed out about this thing, or I'm I'm suffering from this thing, and and once that gets sorted out, once I cross this thing off my to-do list, or once God changes this thing, then I'll be happy. How many of you are kind of thinking like that a little bit? Okay, great. I see about half of you raise your hands. Like most of us kind of think that way. I think that way, right? It's so easy. Like, once I just get through this, once this happens, then I'll be happy. Then I'll have joy, then I'll be okay. That's not how we want to operate, though, as believers. Um, one of the most important habits you could build into your life, one of the most important principles you could have in your life for growing in joy, growing in happiness is this don't wait to be happy. Don't wait to be happy. Don't say, once this and this happens, I'll be happy. Now, today, right the second, at uh, 10.06 on May 19th, decide, wow, I've got a great God who's in charge of all things. I'm going to be happy in him and in his grace to me today right now. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, the psalmist says. Paul grew up on that psalm. Don't wait to be happy. So, so joy is this, is this first point. Paul's life, he, he, he was experiencing far more pain than any of you are experiencing right now. Suffering, difficulty, uh, it's, it, it's hard. And, and, and he's rejoicing in the Lord. He's rejoicing in the Lord. One of your takeaways I'd like you to have from this message today is just be thinking about you and your status and your state of joy and happiness in God and, and, and how to grow that when people hang out with you, if you're a follower of Jesus, I mean, when people hang out with you, we're all we're all contagious with something. Okay, something's kind of um, radiating off of our presence and kind of going off and, 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 and impacting others. When people hang out with you, do they come away from time with you and go, Man, that's a really happy person? That's a really joyful person. Wow, I don't really understand it. Where's this happiness coming from? Oh my gosh, that's my like, it's this God they're talking about. There's some kind of supernatural happiness at work in that person's life. Or do they come away from you saying, oh man, that, that person's just kind of always complaining. You know, nothing ever seems to be you know, good enough. And that person's just always beaten down and discouraged down. Like, I, Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But be thinking about that. What, what, don't you want to be the kind of person where people are around you and they are noticing and experiencing your joy and that is a way to point them towards our happy God? Joy, joy. Second, purpose in life and death. Purpose in life and death. Paul says he's hard pressed between two. He sort of presents them as options. It's not that really he gets to choose. But that's the way in which he's sort of presenting the situation. He goes, I'm hard pressed between two situations. And he builds all of this on this famous verse: to live as Christ and to die as gain. To live as Christ and to die as gain. What does that mean? Paul is saying the purpose of life is, is Christ, is, is Jesus, is Messiah. He's saying life is all about Jesus. He, he's saying, you know, you can read all of the philosophers, you can study and study and study, but ultimately the meaning of life, the purpose of life, is found in knowing the Son of God. Um, the way people... Any of you familiar with the Westminster Shorter Catechism? Have you heard that before? Right, this is a bunch, of, uh, a bunch of theologians that, in the, um, in the 15th century, were, were summarized, 16th century, were summarizing kind of the meaning of the Bible, and they did it through a bu- Catechism was an old way of teaching, through questions. And the first question is, um, what is the chief end of man?, what, what, is, what, is the, what is our purpose as men and women? What is our chief end? And the way they answered that was to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's our purpose in life. Glorify God. Enjoy Him forever. Know God. Experience His beauty. Walk closely with Him. Enjoy Him. That's that's what Paul is starting to get at. Is the whole purpose of life is knowing Jesus. The, the, the Son of God who loved us so much came to earth, uh, lived a perfect life for you and me, died a perfect death on the cross to atone for our sins, then defeated death, rose again, reigns in heaven. The whole purpose of life is, is knowing Him and, and the indestructible life that's to be found in him, the, the, the love that he has for us, that's the purpose of life. So he's saying, the purpose of life is, is, is Christ, and then to die is gain. And so what he's saying is, for however many years of life God gives you on this earth, he's going to give some of you in this room, maybe 40 years, maybe he'll take you home early. I don't know. He'll give some of you in this room 80 years, some of you in this room 95 years, I'm not sure. He's saying your purpose in life is Christ. But at some point you're going to die, and when you die, you get more. It's gain because you get more Christ. You're going to be with Christ for all eternity in heaven. It's, he said it's, that's going to be even better one day, to to not be in a place where there is sin and difficulty and disappointment, but to be in heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, with the living God, where as the Bible teaches us, all sorrow is is, is removed, all tears are wiped away. All things are made new. So, we, so, so, so do you see what Paul is saying? And do you see why he says he can have joy? And only Christianity says this. No other worldview says this. Other worldviews are saying, you've got to accomplish this, clean this up about yourself, mature in this area, then you can have joy, or then you can have some kind of hope of an affection of some kind of a God. Christianity doesn't say that. Paul is saying, I can have so much joy in the Lord right now, because whether I'm still living here in this prison cell, it's, it's all about Christ. And I know him. and I'm walking closely with him. Or if I die, if they execute me, if Nero, the Roman uh, Caesar at the time, Caesar Nero, if, if he executes me, then I just, I'm just i with Christ in eternity. And that's, and that's gain. So do so you see that this gives you this incredible and indestructible purpose in life and death? Now this is going to look different in your life. None of you are suffering in a prison cell. None of you are... Are writing the Bible. I mean, this is a really unique guy, the Apostle Paul, first century. God, the way in which God was using him. But Paul is writing this to ordinary, diverse Christians in the city of Philippi, right? The the, the, the wealthy Lydia types, kind of kind of the Saratoga types, and the blue collar types, and the oppressed slave girl types. And he's saying, wherever it is that God has put you in the city of Philippi, wherever it is that God has put you in Silicon Valley to live as Christ and to die as King. So when you go to work tomorrow, or when you go to school tomorrow, when you're you're teaching students tomorrow in your job, or when you are a student at school studying, as you're learning math, as you're teaching, as you're doing paperwork, as you're a stay-at-home mom caring for your kids, whatever it is you're doing, remember, life's ultimately about Jesus. And everything you do can be done for His glory, and can further His presence like moving forward, the knowledge of Him moving forward on earth. And if you die, and if something bad happens, if you die, like there's just more of Jesus. So, so it's it's indestructible. No matter what happens, as a Christian, we we win. Paul is saying. And so then Paul's wrestling with you know I kind of don't know what to do because if I die, that'd be incredible. But but I could stay, and I could really like help you. And, and the faith, and that's really appealing too. And then he, again, as though it's his choice, it's ultimately God's choice, he's, he, he's basically saying, he says, my desire, and pay attention to that word desire, this is a whole other sermon, but Jesus, desire matters to Jesus. Just like we were talking about joy and happiness, that's often um, how often people completely miss what the Bible has to say about joy and happiness. People often miss what the Bible has to say about desire. People can think of the Christian life as a bunch of, as duty and as shoulds. This is what I should do. This is my duty. But rather than missing that Jesus is really after our desire. Desire is a force that is stronger and more powerful than your duty. Tell me what would make you feel more more loved. Okay. Um, anyone here have like a, a boyfriend or girlfriend or something like that right now? That is a wife. You have a wife, okay? Jerry has a wife, okay. Let's think. Let's think about this, okay? Let's say that on uh, on Wednesday, Wednesday night, Jerry comes home from work, knocks on the door, and his, and his wife at home just kind of knocks on the door. He's going to kind of surprise his wife a little bit. Let's say he has flowers, and he says, "Honey, I'm going I'm to take you on a date because uh, you know I feel like I should. It's my duty." I'm your husband, but I feel like I should love you. It's 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 my duty. Like I want to obey the Bible and obey my vows to you, and I'm gonna take you out to dinner on a date. Let's let's go. She might his wife might be like, um, okay, that's nice, thanks. Think about if Jerry does it this way, though. Maybe comes home, surprises her, knocks on the door, gets home from work a little bit early, he's got his flowers. She answers the door, he's like, Babe, I love you. I love you. I love being your husband. I love you so much. I want, I desire to take you out to dinner tonight. I want to take you on a date. I want to be with you. I want to enjoy you. I just want to, like, we've been so busy. I just want to catch up with you. I want to talk. I want to eat some good food. I'm going to take you to your favorite restaurant. I want to do it. Let's go. Where is she going to feel more loving? The second one, the desire. Okay? Many people, many of you, Mistake of approaching God that first way. Duty. I'm going to church on Sunday. It's it's my duty. Reading my Bible. It's my duty. Um, I'm sharing the gospel. I'm loving people. I'm I'm, I'm living life. It's my duty. Rather than it coming from this deeper place of desire. Remember, the scriptures call us to love the Lord our God, includes with all of our heart not just our willpower, not just not just our duty. The very th- first question that Jesus asks his would-be disciples in the Gospel of John is, what do you want? Not, what should you do? What do you want? He's appealing to desire, and he wants to take our desires and rework them and mold them and show them that the only desire that can absolutely satisfy us is, is God. I mean, C.S. Lewis, many of you have read C.S. Lewis, works in his famous sermon, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis said, it would seem that the Lord finds our desires uh, not to... Not uh, that, that he finds that we've totally misplaced our desire, but he finds our desires too weak. Our desires need to be, need to be stronger. Like our, we, we've set our desires on these, on these smaller things. So, so desire matters to Jesus. Desire matters to Jesus. Um, and let me say this too. Let me, get, let me get the gospel here. Here's how I want you to get the gospel from today's text. This is the way in which Jesus loves us. The way in which Jesus and the living God loves you is not that first way of duty. It's not, oh, I had to die for Phil Fang. Phil Fang is a sinner. I, it's, okay, it's my duty. I, I guess I better get up off my couch in heaven here and and, and go die for him. I should do this. Phil's on my to-do list. Okay, I'll go. I'll go die for his sins. I have to love him. I'll go do it. No. The heart of God is a heart bursting with love, and it's out of desire, out of love, that the living God comes towards us and loves us and gave his life for us. Jesus called his disciples, John 15, his friends. Hebrews says it was for the joy set before him That Jesus came for us and gave his life for us. What was the joy that was set before him? Jesus has always had the joy of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all eternity. He's always had that. He's always had perfect community, perfect love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What was the joy that he didn't have? It's us. He loved us, but he lost us, and he wanted us back. And it's out of this desire that he comes for us. And so that desire, that happiness, that gospel is what has transformed Paul and led him to go into the city of Philippi and start this church. And is what is, has gotten him to write this letter now. And so we're on point, we're kind of transitioning out of point two to point three here, progress in faith. So point one, I talked about joy. Point two, I talked about purpose in life and death. Point three, progress in the faith. Paul's saying, I'm hard-pressed between the two. I desire to go be with Jesus. But he's saying, but I also desire you, and I want I want my life here to continue in this fruitfulness of helping me you know Christ. So he goes, you know what? So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stay here and be with you, and help you. And notice what he says his purpose is in doing this. He says, verse 25, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Progress and joy in the faith. Uh, Raise your hand if you like making progress. Okay. All of you should have your hands raised. We all do, okay. We like making progress. You like making progress in things, okay? So if you're at, in your job, you want to make progress in your job? You want to do a good job? You want to do good work? If you're into, some of you kids here, you're into video games. If you're into video games, you want to make progress. If you want to get to the next level, you want to get better. If you're playing a sport, uh, you want to make progress, get better. My son's been running the mile, and he's been making progress. His mile times have been getting shorter and shorter. Right? If, you, if you learn a musical instrument, you want to make progress and get better at that instrument? It's the same way with being a disciple of Jesus. Paul says he wants to help for their progress in faith. He's saying, church, I want to help you move forward. Now, And remember, Paul's mindset, he's not thinking just about the individuals in the church. He's not just thinking about how does each little person make progress, though that's important to him. He's thinking about the whole church. He, he, he's saying, I, I, I want to see you, church in Philippi, Progress in the faith. I want to see you as a church mature and grow and make progress. Grow deeper and deeper. More mature as a disciple of Jesus. Grow in number. Grow in influence in the city. I want to see you make progress. Progress. I said desire matters to Jesus. Progress matters to Jesus, too. And that doesn't look like a straight line. Okay, It that, that, that looks... It's ups and downs, the way we grow and mature in Christ, and the way church grows. I mean, it, up and down. I'm sure if we trace this church's history, it probably looks a little bit like what what often stock charts look like. Stock goes up, down, up. up here. You know, it's just things things happen, and that, that's the part of the path. But overall, our trajectory is to, to continue to make progress in, in, in the faith. And notice that that Paul says, for your progress and joy. In the faith. so we're back to talking about joy here at the end your progress and your joy Paul can't separate the two they're almost like synonyms your joy in the faith that to progress in your faith in Jesus Christ is to grow in joy to grow in joy I mean that think about that like you could write that down as like your your mission in life as a Christian to progress in the faith to grow in more joy in the faith like, what's, your, what's your job description today, Sunday? Grow in joy. Grow in joy in the Lord. Think about all the reasons there are. And we're, we're going to get to these texts later. Paul's going to just talk more and more about joy and how important it is to have joy in the, in, in the Lord, joy in God, joy in all of his gifts to us, all of his grace. Because if we start at a fundamentally biblical worldview, we are sinners who deserve nothing because of our rebellion against God. But he's so good to us, and he just gives us so much grace, so much that we don't deserve. Like, are, are we grateful for the, you know, the shirt that we're wearing today, and for the roof over our head here in the church, and for this freedom to worship him, and for the person sitting next to you? Think about the person sitting next to you. The person sitting next to you is created in the image of God. God created them. They're unique. The person sitting next to you uniquely images God. In a way that no one else can image God in that, in, that, in that unique way. The person sitting next to you will live forever in eternity, either in heaven and in and worship of God, or in a resurrected body suffering in hell. But what we're dealing with here is, is amazing, amazing stuff. So, I have my church think about two discipleship questions weekly. I've introduced these questions to you. Uh, what is God saying to you? And what's your next step? And that's what I want you to think about with this message. From this message, what is God saying to you? About joy? About the purpose of life and death? About progress in the faith? And, and what's your next step? And uh, I'm just gonna have a time of like silent prayer here for a moment. And during this time of silent prayer, I'd like you to think about that. What is God saying to you? What's your next step? Let's pray.